Amen, amen. Thank you again, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. Uh, yeah, let's uh, turn to God's Word. And uh, yeah, one of the things that is true, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, your job, your hobbies, your life, is that pretty much everything we do is about people. Whether you're in finance or education or construction or retail, whether you're a waitress or a teacher or a lawyer or a welder, our lives are about people. Working with people, managing people. Navigating relationships, handling conflict and differences of understanding and opinion. Even if you just have to put the nail in the board or code the lines on the screen, there is a huge amount of people that you have to work with and live with and deal with. People we like people we don't like, people that can help us and people that need us, people that we really connect with and people that are a lot of work. It's huge. It's complicated. It's life-giving. It's frustrating. People are our life, and it's something we all have to deal with all the time. Fortunately for my wife, I am a delight. (laughs) And so it is very easy for her to deal with me all the time, which is nice for her. She's not even here this morning, so she can't even defend herself. She is very gracious. But life is people, and following Jesus is people, and that's not always easy. But it is good, usually, because it's what we were created for. Relationship, community, fellowship, connection, people. It's what what God wanted to share with us, what He wanted us to know and experience. Because God Himself is relationship in Himself, and He created us to connect. First with Him, and then through Him to each other. It's literally what we were made for in His image to be together, to know and to be known. It's a profound and beautiful and powerful thing. As simple as it is, we are made for relationship, hardwired to connect together biologically, emotionally, spiritually. We are this way because God made us this way and it's the way He wants us to be. And the tragedy then is that is the most fundamental piece that sin has destroyed. The exact 
thing we were designed for, to be and to connect together with God and with each other, was the exact thing that sin corrupted. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were naked and they were not ashamed. They were completely exposed, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and they saw each other as fully and completely and deeply as two people possibly can. And they felt only love and connection and unity. And the first thing that happened when they sinned was shame. Who told you you were naked? What happened? What changed? With one choice to disobey, to think that we knew better, we lost everything. The deepest and most meaningful part of ourselves, relationship, was broken. And our ability to connect the most important piece of himself that God gave us when he made us in his image was lost. And our ability to see what God had made was poisoned with shame and selfishness and insecurity and fear and jealousy. And we were removed from God's presence, kicked out of the garden. And we plowed forward, building this new world in our image, out of that broken place. We see the consequences of that, the great and terrible things we have done. Cain doesn't see God's image in his brother. He feels jealousy and hate. And he murders him. Jacob doesn't see God's image in his brother. He just sees competition and greed. And he lies and steals his wealth and position. And the family is divided and the relationship is broken. Murder, stealing, adultery, exploitation, abuse, the world, people crashed forward using and abusing each other to fill ourselves and fix ourselves to get what we want. Trying to fill what we need, what we've lost by using each other up. Judging and deciding who can help us and who will hurt us. Who is worth it and who is not. Because we're in survival mode. We live in a world where we hoard resources and abuse relationship trying to fill that hole that sin created to cover the shame and the fear. And it's terrifying to watch. The hurt and the pain, the division The strife, war, and destruction, people being robbed of dignity and value, it's devastating. It's terrible. 
And the church is by no means immune to all of this because while we're forgiven, we are still fallen. And all too easily we can see words associated with the church that should never be. Words like politics and power and abuse and greed. And it breaks God's heart to watch it happen. Because it's not what it's supposed to be. It's not what we were created for. It's not what He wants us to know. And James saw it happening. He saw it coming. All those centuries ago, right at the start of the, of the church, right after Jesus established His new kingdom, established the church here on earth, our sinful, broken hearts started to take over and the ways that we see people and use people started to creep into our fellowship. Holdovers from the power and greed and politics of the synagogue and the pagan temples finding their way into the family of Jesus. Turn with me this morning to James chapter 2. As we continue to work through this letter from this leader, this man who led the church in Jerusalem right at the beginning, trying to teach us what we need to know even all these thousands of years later, seeing these problems, these temptations that are so damaging to the body of believers. Warning us and trying to help us see what Jesus wants us to be. Let's read in James chapter 2 together, verses 1 to 13. He says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in Filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of Him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sin, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. 
If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love just how powerful but gentle his words are here. You can hear the heart of a, of a parent, of a loving leader coming through, a teacher and a discipler. Because he has some hard things to say here, harsh criticism to level at the church about the things he sees happening in the church. About how easy it is to fall into the, the habits and patterns that are so natural to us. That are so damaging to our fellowship. He emphasizes over and over that we are a family all through this letter. My brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters, he says. More than a dozen times in this short letter he uses that language. Calling us together, reminding us of our connection together that we are God's family. His children together. And you can just hear his heart for us to know unity and to treat one another with love and respect and value, to lift each other up, to share in relationship together. It's clearly so important to him that we understand this and that we live it out in real and practical ways and that we take great care to protect ourselves from falling into the temptation of being divided. To judge each other and use each other and push each other down. And so he starts there calling out the insecurity and the selfishness that is so naturally a part of our hearts. My brothers and sisters, he says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He is emphatic here. Must not. He wants us to hear him. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and, and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit in the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Evil thoughts. He is as serious as he can be. And you wonder, what did he see happening? Is James thinking of specific examples while he writes these words? Specific gatherings or worship services where he saw this happen. 
Is he thinking of a specific person, a leader, a shepherd that he saw guide a wealthy, well-dressed person to a good seat in their service? And maybe to another time when he saw someone maybe that he even respected, maybe he even trained this person and he dismisses someone who is less well off relegated them to the corner or told them to sit on the floor over there. Have we seen that happen? Have we done it? It's a huge and important thing and it comes down to the question of how we see people. How we see the kingdom, how we see ministry and discipleship. Do we see people as created in the image of God? People who he loves and desires to bring back into relationship with himself. No matter who they are, no matter what they have done, no matter where they are, no matter what they have. His precious children who he was willing to die for. Or do we see people as tools we can use to get what we need? That make us feel special or would be able to help us to make our lives easier or better. Or as a burden. Someone who's going to take real time and energy and resources. Someone to carry It's going to be a lot of work. Or sometimes we don't see people at all and we just see our tasks, the things we have to do, even good things. Ministry and missions and outreach and worship, putting together programs and plans and lessons and strategies. And sometimes people really get in the way of that stuff, don't they? They distract us and they take up our time and those People who get in the way while we're trying to make our plan to help people. It's messy. And it's uncomfortable and it's easy for us to get distracted, to lose sight of the point of all of this, the point of life. As a staff team, that's actually one of the things we talk about Quite a bit. Every single week in our staff meeting, we spend some time talking about the people that we are serving. Everything we do is about people. We plan programs and events and meetings and strategies, but we can never lose sight of the fact that what we are doing is serving people. The people here in this room, The people who are a part of our ministries, the people who live in our community, in our city. Discipling people. Walking with people. We have to remember that the things we do start to matter less than who we are doing them with and how we are doing that. Because that's what Jesus did. He saw people. And he saw them as God sees them because he was God. As he created them to be. 
And so many times his process was very messy and that really bothered his followers. Jesus would get sidetracked from the important mission they were on. Their destination, the next city, the next sermon, the next service. And sometimes his followers would get frustrated and he'd even try to keep people away or keep them from bothering Jesus. And that wasn't what he saw. They didn't see what Jesus saw. Because he wasn't worried about the process, the plan, the strategy, the program. The program was the people. The plan was people. And while his followers are getting frustrated with the crowds and the needs and the pressure, Jesus saw people through all of that. And not for what they built themselves up to be with their robes and their titles and their silly hats. He saw the beautiful children he had created in his own image. Lost and broken and hurting. And he loved them. And while we get frustrated with people and get overwhelmed with their needs and their hurts and we get distracted trying to cozy up to people that can make us better or give us things. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, He needs to transform the way we see people. Rich and poor, beautiful and plain, helpful and hurtful. And we need to hear the way he talked to them, the things that he cared about. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Let the little children come to me. So kind, so gentle, so important. So humbling. Because who are we to judge anyone? When we are so blind and lost ourselves, when we don't see what God has created in the people all around us, it's a sobering thing to consider. And C.S. Lewis paints a picture more profound than we see in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and corruption such as now you only meet, if at all, in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should all conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, 
all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You have never met a mere mortal. Every person you have ever seen, spoken to, bumped into, celebrated, or ignored, is created in the image of God, and their life is meant to bring Him glory. To express and reveal something unique about who and what God is. And to be a blessing to the people around them. You are made to be a blessing to the people around you. And our lives hand us all kinds of different circumstances. Our families, our health, our work, everything around us shapes and molds who we are and how we live. And some of us are extremely fortunate with healthy, loving families and good health and the ability to work. Our basement didn't flood and our car didn't break down and we enjoy good things. And some of us face unimaginable difficulties surrounded by abuse and addiction, broken minds and bodies enduring incredible suffering. And yet we are the same. Created in the image of God to share life together and enjoy relationship and care for one another. Not seeing simple circumstances, but seeing the image of God placed in each person's heart. And to celebrate together that God loves us and we can love each other. James closes this passage by reminding us of our responsibility to care. To be humble and to show mercy. And he says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Our mercy shown to others and God's mercy shown to us. How do you see people? Do we judge who's worth it and who isn't? Who can help us and who will drain us? Or do we see God's image placed in each one like Jesus did and build them up? God is inviting us into relationship together and He is inviting you to see people like He does. Do we want that? Let's pray together.
Father God, we come before you this morning and we ask your forgiveness. When we fail to see people like you do, when we fail to see that they are created in your image, that you love them more than we can possibly understand and you have hopes and dreams and desires for them that are good. They were created to bring you glory and you desire them, God, to do that. God, we pray that you would help us to see that, that we would see your image placed in the heart of each person around us. That we would walk and live with mercy and grace, with love and a desire for fellowship. Father God, there are people in our lives that are a challenge that we struggle with. And God, we pray that you would help us to be transformed that our understanding of them would be changed by you, that we would love them with your heart and see them with your eyes, that we can serve them and build them up. And we pray that we would be able to walk together in that, to challenge and encourage one another, to carry each other's burdens and to share who you are with each other in that. And we thank you and we praise you that you are merciful. In Jesus' name. Amen.